the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. All right, we were just uh, locating things. Mark Two is in the studio, and uh, is that because you're from the neighborhood that you know Vulcan Street, or is it because of your time at the mayor's office? You are an Etobicoke. Yes. And uh, so apparently it's located near Atomic Avenue. Well, it's due north of Atomic. It's some distance from Atomic Avenue, but they've got some great, uh, they got, there's some really good street names in the industrial and light industrial areas. I'm very intrigued. But of course, more importantly, we have a major fire there this morning, which is, in my experience anyway, and people can correct me, um, but I don't remember a six alarm fire in Toronto. We got a six alarm, six alarm or six bell banger, as they used to call it. At, they only uh, go to seven, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, in Montreal, we only go to five. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like Spinal Tap. Uh, nobody has been hurt, so um, you know it's it's an inconvenience to many this morning, and it's certainly an inconvenience to those who've been warned that they should probably avoid exposure to the air around that plant. But the good news is that Toronto firefighters are fighting the good fight, and they're getting on top of this. On round one this morning, Vas Bednar is here, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy Degree in Digital Society at McMaster University, the aforementioned Mark Tuohy, Advisor to Business and Political Leaders, and Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty from Betty's Law. Good morning to y'all, and uh, let's start mixing it up. Lots of things to talk about this morning. And um, let me start with you, Mark Tuohy, because you've been around politics a good long time. Uh, where are we in what I guess inevitably is going to become Greenbelt Gate, because the Premier and his housing minister are holding a press conference this morning, and I'm sure it's to pivot and start moving in another direction. It's not to keep on, you know, dribbling the ball on this scandal. Yeah, I would think so, although the one thing that needs to be done is they at some point have to put a lid on this. And, and the best way to do that would be to fire somebody. And prob- Anybody. Probably the, the, the most likely candidate is the one who was singled out in the attorney or the Auditor General's report, and that's the chief of staff to the minister. I don't know that they would do that in a press conference, though. That's the kind of thing you, you kind of do by statement or tweet or something. Or like at that. 5 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah. Um, so I expect you're right. I expect this will be about something else, but the questions will all be about the green belt thing. But as much as it, this captivates those of us who have have a fascination for politics and are in the media. I don't think the average person on a city bus anywhere in this province going to work this morning uh, is paying any attention to this. So I think if they if they don't screw it up further, this is quite survivable. Okay, Courtney Betty, you've uh, probably witnessed no shortage of scandals in politics and elsewhere. Um, I think Mark's right that there's there needs to be one more two step before they can start waltzing off in another direction. I do, and, and and I agree with Mark in, in great analysis, you know, but I, it's interesting, John. Um, the week of February 4th, we talked about this topic. We talked about it when there was a new member of the NDP, a new leader of the NDP that was elected. And the discussion was, you know, she came out storming with, you know, is this going to become an issue for Doug Ford? And I think it is going to be an issue for Doug Ford. Um, I think it's a big issue for Doug Ford. How he handles it now is going to be critical. And as Mark said, maybe firing someone. But I think Doug does have a problem here. 
And Vass Bednar, your take, because I don't think a lot of people were preoccupied by the green belt. They thought it was just a bunch of whiny environmentalists complaining. But when you get to the envelopes, the brown envelopes being passed to the, uh, you know, leader of one of the chiefs of staff of one of the cabinet ministers, that's where people start going, what's going on? I mean, yeah, people have been asking what's going on for a while. I mean, I think Mark's right. In order to have a fall guy, somebody needs to fall and sort of go down on a sword of sorts. But uh, there's also the fact that it's the summer and a sleepier time where people may not be paying as close attention to the nuances and details of this. And if their macro takeaway is, you know, the government is being punished for just trying to build more housing, which people agree we all need, um, then that's going to further uh, muddle this too. Some things are just so peak Toronto, and certainly the announcement that there's going to be an announcement of an announcement of a date for the Eglinton Crosstown opening is one of those moments. Courtney Betty, I mean, probably everybody is rolling their eyes at this point. This has been going on. It was supposed to open in what, 2020? Um, this has been such an incredible disaster from the public-private partnership model that was created. Because what you did was you created a model where there was no, um, you know, there's no benefit for finishing early. And, you know, if you look at Little Oakwood, when we talk about the whole Eglinton uh, um, transportation system, that whole area has been decimated by Metrolink. So I've got really strong views in terms of the impact on the communities that have taken place and the fact that really, you know, this has been a financial bonanza for too many people. And Vas Bednar, when I look at the Ottawa system, for example, yesterday they had flash floods and there was water flowing like a you know, roaring river through one of the light rail stations. The light rail hasn't even been running because it keeps derailing. I keep wondering what lies ahead when they do finally open this thing. Right. Could could this be our Ottawa LRT situation? I mean, I think people are still excited and curious about it coming forward, but we do need to look back and be maybe as scathing as this alleged, uh, you know, Auditor General's report, right? What happened here? What should other jurisdictions be learning about building transit? Have we made it too bureaucratic? You know, is there something wrong with our procurement and our contracting system? Why was it and how was it that a, this, you know, this whole system didn't really know when it was going to be finished? Um, I want to learn more from this instead of just have it be this like big butt of, uh, you know, a longstanding joke. The beauty of this, the joy of this, if I can, if I can find the nugget of joy in this to play on, on, on your sort of opening riff, which is this is peak Toronto, is the fact that the announcement of when we might know when we might know when it might start. <laughs> we don't know when that announcement will be because they still don't know when in the summer they're going to announce when they might know when they might know things. Yeah. It's uh, perfect. <laughs> Like uh, Rumsfeld. Um, so apparently you can buy a castle in Scotland for the same price as a semi-detached home in Toronto. Vaz, I'll start with you. Um, that sounds fine. But, you know, I play this game every single Sunday in the New York Times where they list, you know, what you can buy yeah, for yeah. $340,000. And I don't want to live in most of those towns. And I don't want to go live in Scotland. Uh, you don't want to go live in... Don't jinx oh, yourself. Oh, that's fighting don't, words. Uh -oh. Yeah, don't don't jinx yourself. Yeah, look, what of course what is missing there is quality of life factors and our system, but 
a lot of people are feeling like Toronto isn't one of the greatest places to live anymore. That's where people sort of start to get divided, right? What we used to hold up. I mean, no one, no one is as concerned, I think, about our education system, but with our healthcare system and what, what used to be advantages for us or how hard it is to get around the city, maybe that's causing people pause. But the way house prices have escalated, no matter what, while wages have not uh, matched, is bodes badly for Canada and bodes badly for us attracting talent, attracting people who might have gone for that, might have splurged on that castle, but the talent we want to court to Toronto. Good luck. But you're not splurging on the castle. You're splurging on the on the run-down, beat-up, ugly, semi-detached condo in Toronto. That's the expensive part. The condo, the 37,000-square-foot condo or uh, castle with 15 bedrooms and 42 bathrooms and 250 acres on a private island in the middle of, you know, God knows where paradise, which is quite common now, costs a fraction of what an apartment does in right. Toronto. And I think this, we're, we're at the pivot point where the market forces are start are going to start to benefit us because I think people, people are, are going to leave. Leaving. Yeah. And they're going to distribute not only uh, outside of Canada, but across to other places in Canada. I get these things on Instagram all the time by a realtor in Calgary who says, here's what $300,000 will buy you in Calgary, and it is all of Etobicoke. You know, it's this massive, you know, Drake would love to live in a place like that. Uh, so I, I'm looking, and I think a lot of people are looking to find a better pasture where they can uh, live the rest of their life. Yeah, Courtney, Betty, I'm not trying to underestimate the pressures of our high cost of housing here. It's insufferable, and some people look at it and say, I'm never going to be able to afford something. But at the same time, a real estate market represents the desirability of where people actually want to live. Well, absolutely. And Toronto is always going to be, and yes, there are individuals that are going to choose other locations. But when you look at the immigration patterns right now, there's always going to be a flow of new individuals coming to the city, which is going to, you know, create this incredible demand. But I think the whole point of the article is that, you know, the affordability for many people, you know, combined with the issues and interest rates and all of this is that we're we're in a housing crisis for many people in the city of Toronto. Uh, what do you folks make? Um, actually, maybe I'll start with you, Courtney, on this one. Is there any sympathy for a group of avowed racists whose photographs were taken and then exposed publicly, and now they are apparently suing because they say they're losing their jobs and their relationships? Um, so that's too bad. Uh, we sent out this editorial this morning by the Idaho, uh, Idaho statesman where they said, hey, your opinions became public. They're not popular opinions. Wear them. Well, you know, John, I'm always uh, amazed at the U.S. legal system, how it affords you the opportunity to file any kind of a claim. And, and this one's uh, this one's certainly one of them. For me, I just look at this with a little bit of humor. Okay, Vaz, they were actually busted on their way to disrupt a Pride Festival. And again, to come back to it, obviously they're anti-gay, they, uh, they're pro-Trump, and they're racist, and they're all mad that now everybody knows about it. Yeah, I think it's this fascinating expectation of, you know, privacy or anonymity being maintained, right? And how that clouds bigger conversations about what we're entitled to online, right? And who we can be and what can be traced back to us, etc. So I think it's fascinating that people 
also felt there was this sort of implicit pact, right, or, or trust within this group that no one would de-anonymize them uh, or that it wouldn't be possible to be de-anonymized. So I like that Courtney can read it with a sense of humor. I, yeah, you're right. There is something sort of ironic and, and fascinating about it, but I don't think they're going to get anywhere with this claim. No, I, no. Mark Tui. I think if they're upset about this, wait till they get to the process of discovery. <laughs> when they have to sit down at a table with uh, lawyers from uh, the opposite side and answer questions about everything that'll be on the record for the court. I think I think this lawsuit will wrap up before then. Uh, listen, 60 seconds on the clock, so let me ask Vas Bednar, because you had a baby recently. There is a lawyer in the UK who says, women, mm. it's so hard for a woman to have a baby, the baby should get their name. Yeah, I saw that blow up online. I mean, I have a girlfriend who her first child has her husband's name. Her second child has her last name. It is a convention that people are thinking or rethinking. You see people hyphenate names. You see people make up new last names. And I was thinking if I have a second child, maybe just giving it the last name Vass because that's the name I trade on. I'm only half kidding, um, but I'm glad that she raised it. I don't think her rationale of, you know, it's it's the difficulty means that they should uh, take that last name. But it is it is a convention. But right now we only let people have one uh, surname. So we got to figure that out. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.